Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They are providing a means for uh, new and budding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we have author Paul Wheaton. He's going to talk about his book, Building a Better World in Your Backyard Instead of Being Angry as Bad Guys. So this is a recorded show, so please don't call in. Here's Paul. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Hello, Sherry. Thanks for having me to your show. Uh, it's uh, really sunny and beautiful here. How's it there? <laughs> it is sunny and beautiful here in the great state of Montana. Uh, I actually lived in San Diego for um, a little bit. I worked on a contract out there when I was a software engineer. It's big. Uh, what part of San Diego? I worked in the gas lamp district. Oh, you went downtown. I, I think I mistakenly lived in uh, Pacific Beach. I I am not a 20-something hard body, and so I felt very out of place there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is, there's other places that would have made you a little bit more comfortable, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was only there for like six months working a contract, so it was kind of like um, uh, I didn't I kind of felt like, well, I, you know, got in the wrong spot. I'll, I'll just, uh, uh, if I ever have a contract down here again, I'll go. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you got it because it was close to the Gaslight District, and that's why you did it. Because, um, uh, you know, you could, well, actually, most places are no more than 10-minute drive. So you could be in one of the valleys or something and, and take the freeway and get to work in 10 minutes. Yeah, a bizarre thing is, is that you know after that time, that was back in like 2001 or so, uh, I I became obsessed with permaculture and I went down the path that I'm on now. And um, the bizarre thing is, is that I keep getting asked to come back down to San Diego to present about permaculture or teach workshops. And I kind of feel like then somebody says, well, what kind of good, what kind of plant is good to plant here? And and I say. I don't know. I'm a cold weather guy. <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm a Montana guy. Our climate is so different. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, there's a, a huge interest for some reason. I don't know. Well, um, we do have a lot of agriculture here, so it's not that surprising that people would be interested. True, but I would like to think that you can find some lovely experts that are in the region that would know the plant way better than I do. Um, I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't mind coming to San Diego to teach a workshop or to present because um, it's like, ooh, I get to go put my toes in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll go. Yeah, I mean, location is everything. I, um, I was uh, a travel agent, and I remember um, uh, my I, I was what they call a temporary travel agent, which was really fun because you switch. I, I worked for one company, had all benefits, and went from place to place just like a regular employee, but I wasn't stuck anywhere. And but I lived in California, and someone said, "Well, would you like your next assignment to be in Chicago?" And I go, "Yeah, I've never been there." <laughs> that was one of the great things about that job, and it was like that. It was like, "Oh, 
I, I'd love to go to Chicago because it has all the culture and it's got great museums and stuff like that. I loved it. I was there for six months and the only reason I didn't renew was because we got hit by a tornado and I'm a California girl. I didn't want to deal with tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> so now, were you in Chicago when it was winter time? It was, um, yeah. It wasn't really a cold winter, uh, but it was like... I got I got there in we, I was lucky I got there in September and it was nice and then I left around March no April something like that oh wow so you were there for the the winter of it all yeah and, I went uh, for the whole winter in the windy city so it, uh, you got some fascinating daily hairdos. Yeah, but I wasn't working. I was working in a suburb, so it was luckily it wasn't very far from the um, the corporate housing I had. So I didn't have to deal with a lot. <laughs> I just got in my car, drove there, went there. That's it. Um, the only time, the only thing I had to deal with that I had never dealt with before, even though I ha I I lived in Ohio and New Jersey as a child, but I didn't deal with it, was ice. I never drove on ice. I never had to get ice off my car. That kind of stuff. That was a new thing. <laughs> uh, here's here's my advice for driving on ice. Not that anybody's going to anytime soon, but um, uh, a slow down. Oh just, yeah. Just just drive slower. That's it. That's, that's really most of it. And then if you ever get anything close to stuck and you're trying to get unstuck. Do not spin your tires. That's that's it. That's that's all of it right there. You just if you can remember those two things, which nobody can, but if you could remember those two things, then you're you're pretty much set. It's amazing to me how I've seen people from places that don't have snow, and I'll I'll tell them this, and they'll nod their head, and then they just they just can't do it, and so um, they spin their tires, and then they 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 still drive really fast on icy roads and then they end up in the ditch. That's one thing I, I learned a long time ago. This, my father was always very bright. He always taught us, when it's raining, I don't care what your instinct is, slow down. And I don't care if other people are honking at you, slow down. Especially when it's like bad visual, because you know, if it's really pouring, you can't even see. He goes, why are you racing? You know, so that's that's the kind of reason I went really, I didn't go really slow, I went, I went slow, I got honked at a couple of times, but I didn't care, I was alive. <laughs> I, I drive down the road, and then somebody passes you, and I, every single time I say, and we're going to see them in a couple of minutes in the ditch, and sure enough, there they are, <laughs> every time, all right, <clears throat> that's, that's my snow story, in the spring, just as everything's warming up, and the days are becoming beautiful. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. You never know what's going to happen, what's going to pop out of our mouths. That's just the life of the uh, talk show. Um, <laughs> but it is beautiful. I mean, right now we were. It was con. It's really weird. Last the week before, we had constant rain. It was like for us cold. It was in the 40s and the 50s. It was like, and and then all of a sudden it flipped and now it's in the 80s the 90s it's it's like summer we're in august it, it, it kind of skipped spring <laughs> i 
I was baffled my first day of work on that contract in San Diego when uh, it's time for us all to go to lunch. We're all going to go to some place down the street for lunch. And uh, somebody says, what's the temperature outside? And somebody says, it's 70. And everybody starts putting on their coats. I was kind of thinking, yeah, 70. I, you know, I, I, in fact, it was so warm when I arrived. I didn't even bring a coat. I just kind of thought, it's, it's crazy warm. Why would you wear a coat? You'll just get sweaty. Because our but blood is thinner than your blood. I guess. I, 70 degrees and everybody's putting on a coat to go outside. I, I've, I, I never saw anything like that. That was that was bizarre to me, but yeah, I'm from Montana. I know, I know, I know. It's really funny because you acclimate as you move somewhere. Like I acclimated to Chicago. My brother was in Colorado Springs when he was in the service, and I went up to visit him. And I have the whole. I look like a snow bunny. I have the whole snow gear thing, real Californian. And he greeted me in a t-shirt. And jeans, no coat, no gloves. <laughs> he acclimated. He was there for a year already. Okay, you used to it. Yep. Yep. That's the way it is. That's the way the human body is. It's one of the interesting things about us humans. That's why I guess we survive. That's true. I, I agree with that. Yes. Um... So, I've been asking people because um, I don't want an elephant in the room because people will want to know. How are you dealing with the lockdown in your area? In fact, do you have a lockdown in Montana? Oh, yeah, they had a, they, they, they sent out some kind of notice that the whole state was locked down. They, they closed all the restaurants and everything. Um, and then they said something about, like, anybody who traveled into the state were going to take your temperature or something. And then later it was clarified, like, only if you arrive by plane or train or bus. Um, so other people could just drive in and no one's going to take their temperature. But um, I live uh, on, a, on, on several hundred acres, and um, I, we're, pretty, we're pretty automatically already relatively self-sustaining in some ways. And so I kind of went a good six weeks or so without leaving here. So um, it wasn't until, I think it was yesterday, that I went into town to get a compressor. And so I went, uh, I went into the store and I had a mask on. And I got to tell you, this is my first time ever wearing a mask and I don't like it. Um, but there you go. That's not... My story is, is that I'm not exactly suffering because I'm going outside every day. I'm just not driving anywhere. I'm just staying on the property. I don't have a, I don't generally have any. I usually go two weeks before I go into town, and usually it's kind of like uh, there's something in town I need to go do, I guess. But hey, that's, most people have something in town to do. I, I think I go quite a while in between trips to town. It's I I don't like the mask thing either. I mean I know it's necessary, but I I I it just I don't know. It just bothers me. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of thought to myself like, as I'm there wearing the mask, like I think I maybe the thing to do is for what I need this compressor for. Maybe I could have just uh, gone a few more weeks 
Plus, the other thing is, is that at the store, only one person of four was even wearing a mask. Huh. And then I felt like, I guess I don't have to wear it, because other people aren't wearing it. But I wore it anyway, because I brought it. And, you know, I was like, I want to see what it's like. And I was like, it was like, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> well, I heard that there's been, there's been some incidents where um, people gotten really crazy about other people wearing masks or not wearing masks, other people uh, doing the social distancing or not doing the social distancing. I mean, both sides have gotten a little tense. Uh, it just, it's like, um, this stuff is for your protection. Why are you acting like it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's like another thing to fodder with instead of really taking it seriously and what it's for. <laughs> Well, I, I, I believe, for reasons, that I had coronavirus um, and that I got over it about three or four weeks ago. Um, and, and so I kind of feel like, uh, granted, there's discussion about whether or not you can be immune to it, but I kind of feel like I probably am. And uh, so it's not like people can give it to me. And then at the same time, since I'm past it, I'm probably not going to be giving it to anybody else. And um, so the only way that I can, you know, make things worse for people is if somehow I get some on me and then spread it around. But I, I don't know. There's people that are being up. I, I guess I tuned out most of it. When I had it, uh, I was very curious, you know, with the great question. Am I gonna die? Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and actually, I I never got too bad, um, but but I think it's because of the things that I did to kind of keep it at bay. Um, and I I do I've, since then I've tuned that. So yeah, I can understand people are like you know getting into mask wars and stuff like that. And I've been focusing on my writing and other things um, all the stuff that I normally do day to day instead of like reading the you know the new coronavirus information every 10 minutes yeah I, I have I've been and, and I read like um, our governor has been putting like an um, what's going on when stage one's going to happen that we're going to be able to move and stage two and all all that important stuff I read all the other stuff, I've stopped. I won't read anything. I just, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, a little, little burnout. I mean, I want to do the right thing by everybody. And I think the best thing I could do is stay home. Yeah, that's and, it. Uh, but I'm fortunate in that I have several hundred acres. <laughs> yeah, you can walk. I go out and do stuff yeah. every day. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to get anybody sick or, you know, facilitate. I'm staying home. So you're lucky. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nice. <laughs> um, I'm gonna switch topics. Uh, are you a reader? Do you like to read? And um, what's your? Uh, are you do you read outside your genre, or do you? Um, what what's your kind of book that you like? Oh, I I drink deeply at the well of fiction. Oh, <laughs> good boy. <laughs> I. I need it. I, my favorite author right now is Christopher Moore, hmm. um, and I just uh, I'm, I'm just constantly consuming Christopher Moore. And uh, not only that, but I have transitioned into 
a lover of audiobooks. I just kind of feel like when you have somebody read an audiobook to you, they add another dimension to the book. The book becomes richer. Um, I, I've just been thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying that. So uh, I read a fair bit. Uh, I know that there are people that, that read like um, one or two books a day every day. I'm nothing like that. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad was I like could, that. I'm not like that. I can't do I I read one book. Sometimes I read... See, I don't read it... As, I, I have different books that I, when I was going out, that I had at different places. Like, I would have a book at home, I would have a book in my purse, and I had a book in my car. But now I just read my book at home because I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> but you got those other two books, you can go finish them. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm going to finish them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, put a fresh book out in the car, bring bring that book inside, and finish it up. Yeah, but I just, I've always, I was, I was the shy girl. I was always reading. I was always in the corner. But even at, this is embarrassing, even at dances, I, they used to have a little pocketbook editions. <laughs> I used to slip it in my evening bag. And if there was no one talking to me, I was feeling like a wallflower. i go, okay, I'm going to be a wallflower. I pulled a book out and I just started reading. Huh. I, I was the, I did, I did not go to dances. I'm, I'm uh, six six, so I'm the same height as Michael Jordan. Only I am not. Uh, I don't have that sort of uh, physique, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I kind of always felt like uh, a little bit of the uh, uh, portable freak show, and so I, I felt like wherever I was, wherever I walked, everybody was staring at me because I'm. You know, too tall, and so I, I I did not go to the dances. I just didn't go. Yeah. I, so therefore, I hereby give you the crown of courage for having gone at all. Thank you. It was hard. I was because I was. It's weird. I it was more the high school leftover. As time has gone by, and I've had a lot of job experience and stuff, I'm less shy. But I still have that, I have that shell that I put up when I'm surrounded by people I don't know. That's what I call it. It's sort of like a, like a, like a, uh, oh, what do they call it? It's like in Star Trek where they put the thing around the ship to protect it, the shield. Shields? Yeah, the shield. Okay. The, it was a transparent shield or whatever it was called. Um... Uh, anyway, that's the way it is for me. When I go out, you can't tell I'm protecting myself, but I am. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Uh, I'm not sure if I do anything like that. Um, I I know that there's a whole world of socializing that I don't generally participate in. Um, I... Uh, I don't know whether I'm horribly arrogant or if um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I have all these things that I need to do. I, 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 there's a limited amount of time in every day, and there's so much to be done. Mm-hmm. It's a different approach, perhaps. You're going to have your shields. I'm going to do something else, where generally there's not a lot of other people. Yeah, I understand. I, 
it, it's just one of those weird things because I like when I go to a convention. I also use acting ability a little bit when I go into the convention. I'm playing a character. Is <laughs> it like um, I went to Comic Con and presented with a, a panel? Yeah, I was scared. I was terrified. I, and the room was full. I mean, really full. And I was like, okay, all right. You're just going to be a character. You, I picked one of my favorites, and that's what I did, the whole thing. I was still me, but I was I had the presentation of the character that I wanted to use. <laughs> then, uh, uh, and that's what you presented. And did, and did you kind of take on those mannerisms and things like that, or did you just think it would, within yourself? That, that you are this other person? I thought it within myself. I did not... I was still me in everything on the outside. It was just sort of me tricking myself so I wouldn't freak out. I, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to have a path that's very different from that. I don't know what it is, but when I have an audience of like 600 people, I feel more at home. I do better. Like when I'm presenting, Right. When, you know, so I've got a presentation I'm giving, and if there's 600 people, I do far better than if there's just 40 people. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, and so I guess I I do not struggle with the things that you're struggling with. Well, the thing is, is that I have a theater background. So once I have a character oh. in my mind, then I'm okay. But that's what I mean. It's it's a psychological thing that I use to for my benefit. From my own training, um, power tools. <laughs> my own version. <laughs> but it, everybody's different. Everybody does their own thing. You feel like you got it because you have six hundred people. I feel like I got it because I have the protection of a character. That's it. Why do you suppose that when, what do you, so if you go up there and you don't have a character and you're standing like in, on this panel, you're sitting at a panel, what is the thing that makes you nervous? Are you thinking that there'll be a heckler? No, it's more, okay, I'm fine when it's the question and answers between the panel. I have, because you, you mingle with it, it's only four or five people and usually there's people on the panels that are rather uh, impressive. So, you know, I'm fine with that part. It's when the audience starts peppering questions, that's when I start getting nervous. And it's not, okay. it's not the heckling, it's just that, what if I screw up? What if I say something wrong? What if I... My head game. Uh, it's more of um, me thinking that I'm going to say something wrong. But if I have my character, I, I, I feel like, okay, I won't. Let me, let me see if I can understand what you're saying. And, and I'm going to tell a joke, okay? And the, the joke goes like this. When paddling up Shit Creek in your canoe and all four tires fall off, how many pancakes does it take to build a doghouse? The answer is none, because ice cream has no bones. That's, that's the joke. I guess it wasn't particularly funny. But I didn't the, get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's a, that's, I think that the, what's supposed to be funny about it is, is that it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know? So your, your canoe has doesn't have tires. All four tires fall off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the thing is, is the thing that, that possibly makes you nervous, which just makes me feel exasperated, is if somebody asks a question where it's like, I can't make heads or tails out of what you're asking, or what you're asking has nothing to do with what our panel is about, you know? Um, and, and so I find it uh, frustrating, but maybe, perhaps, when they ask you a question that doesn't make any sense, or they've worded it poorly, or um, it's way off topic, or something like that, Perhaps you're thinking, how do I politely navigate these troubled waters? Yeah. And not come off looking like, like a, a monstrous person. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to be a good, polite person that knows what she's talking about. Whereas <clears throat> I'm seeking my own personal comedy needs here. I'm, I'm looking out for for like, oh, this is going to be funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally cool with, with, like, somebody asking a ridiculous question. I'm going to say, ha, I have no idea how to even begin to answer that. And, and so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I, I do think that sometimes there can be somebody who intentionally wants to trip me up. But the cool thing about it is that if you're on the stage, you have a microphone and they do not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, I I don't know. I'm I I on the one hand I want things to end up being lovely for everybody, but I guess I don't. You know what? Here's here's a here's a, here's something. Okay, I told you that I'm I'm a giant. I am a crazy enormous person. And when I walk down a sidewalk and then somebody's coming the other way, about one time out of four. The other person notices that I'm a giant, and I don't know. It's like they're trying not to look at me because that would be rude, right? Mm. If if I'm like some somehow some sort of monster, you don't want to stare at this person. And so about one time out of four, if I don't get out of the way, they'll bump into me. I don't want to... Because the other thing is, is because I'm such a giant, that if they bump into me they'll usually end up on the ground. It's, you know, Newton has a law about it and everything. Yeah, it's called gravity. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, a body in motion stays in motion. And and it's kind of like, so, when you have the, when you go to physics class in college, and they have the two marbles, a big giant marble and a little giant marble, and they run them on a rail towards each other, the, the giant marble kind of keeps moving, and the little marble shoots off the opposite direction of which it was going. So what happens is if they bump into me, they end up on the ground. And that's I don't I don't want that to happen. And so I find that about one time out of four, they're so caught up in not looking at me or whatever that I have to step sideways off the sidewalk to prevent a collision. I think what I hear you saying is that you wish to prevent a collision also, and you're worried that somebody's going to inadvertently bump into you with, like, a question. 
and uh, as opposed to dance with you. So you're you're there to dance. And if they ask a lovely question, you'll give a lovely answer. That's the dance. Mm-hmm. But it's possible that they're not looking, and they'll they'll accidentally blunder into you, and you know might even knock you over because they're not paying attention to where they're walking. They might ask a question that's challenging. I like challenging. It's more like I don't want to... I can be challenged. I don't have a problem with that. It's more like I don't want to say something that will disappoint because it's wrong. I mean... Right. It's more like, I, I, I mean, I will answer any question. It's more I don't want to disappoint them, basically. It's challenging to turn their stumble into an elegant dance maneuver. Yeah. That's challenging. Yes. And, that and, I can do. And so you're worried that they're going to stumble and they're going to face plant in front of everybody and that they'll feel embarrassed and you'll feel embarrassed that you didn't have whatever, the, the ninja skills, if you will, to somehow turn their stumble into an elegant dance maneuver. Right. Yeah. And it's really funny because I saw um, an interview, well, it was like a, a meeting, I don't know what it was, but Judy Dench was at a, a thing for uh, uh, like Chinese uh, actors or something and the guy who was the commentator, it was in Britain the guy who was the commentator was really tough on the audience they would ask, Judy sometimes didn't even answer them out, sometimes she would try to stop him from stopping them from asking the question it was like they would say something like uh, what is your favorite movie and he was, that's the dumbest question I ever heard. And she goes, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it was really interesting, I thought. <laughs> I, I think it says a lot about a person when they do not fear the stumble. That, that, they're, that, that if somebody, and I feel like um, um, the, the people who we observe, the masters of this, are comedians. And there's a heckler in the audience, and uh, and the the comedian does some sort of masterful quip to you know uh, bring bring it back to comedy. Like I'm standing up here doing my comedy thing, and and my job is to entertain the crowd. And here's somebody who's trying trying to uh, make that not happen. So my job just got harder. But they they tend they can roll with it with wit. You know, and, and so to have that that amazing, amazing way. So clearly, Judy Dench knows she has the wit. Yeah. But you can't, you cannot demonstrate, you cannot prove this magnificent wit without uh, somebody <laughs> asking apparently a dumb question. What's your favorite movie? And it's like you know, you, once you got that, then then it's like oh I could. I can work with that. But she she was so, she was adorable. I mean, she was very accommodating. Um, but she was she's Judy, yeah. She's an adorable actor. Um, we're getting we're to the point where I'd like you to talk about your book. 
Um, oh. Would you like to explain what it's about? And um, you have a you have a floor. I I wrote a book. <laughs> um, uh, it's so boy. I, I'm trying to like. How do I abbreviate this? Um, in 2004, I realized that I knew things and I wanted the world to know these things. Why does the world not know these things? They all seem so simple. And so I, um, I quit my job, I quit my career as a software engineer. And I was doing very well as a software engineer. But I just felt like I don't think anybody else is going to do this, and I, I, so I, I think it's on me. I can see what needs to be done, and I can also see that no one else is going to do it. So I'm going to do it. So I tried to um, make videos, podcasts, write articles, and I got interviewed many, many times, and I just felt like I wasn't making enough of a Dent. Um, I produced some movie-like things. Um, I I don't know. I I, I started forums, and, they, and we have millions of people coming to these these forums. Even in this era where we no longer use forums, my forums are growing. Um, so I'm I'm trying to reach hundreds of millions of people, and a book was long overdue. And so um, I, I, I tried to put a best of into the book. And the idea is, I mean, the book is called Building a Better World in Your Backyard Instead of Being Angry at Bad Guys. And uh, I think the big question I always get asked is like, do you have to have a backyard? And it's like, no, I think half of the book is about stuff where you have it's no yard at all, not even a balcony on your apartment. Um, and so a lot of focus there, but really tried to focus on how on, on techniques, on ideas, on solutions that do not involve sacrifice. So everything in the book must add luxury and also to eliminate costs. So everything in the book needs to dramatically reduce the expense of, of, of living and a, a large focus on three big footprints. So carbon footprint is, is the primary one that most people are very concerned about right now. And also petroleum footprint and toxic footprint. So these are the, the three aspects really focused on in this book. Um, tried to, the, the book is not quite 200 pages long. It's a quick book. It's a short book. Um, uh, and we use we're, we're, we did a thing that's a little bit unusual um, for everything where we needed to have a footnote we needed to have proof of what we're suggesting that um, rather than uh, uh, having footnotes that refer to a bunch of other things we a lot of this stuff it's like there's actually nine different things that go with this item that we're stating so instead we, we made a shorthand notation which takes you to our website, which has not only the the links to our sources, but also the ability for anybody to question any of it. And so we kind of felt like it's okay for us to do this because it's, you know, 
modern times, we have the internet. We don't have to stick to the older book style, so we've augmented the book in a way to to be a, a jumping off point for much richer discussions. Did, did I do it? Did I say? Did I get a good? Got it all. Okay. Got it all. And how would um, how would somebody? Is it in on the stores or the Amazon? How would someone get it? Oh, um, uh, you could go to. It's available at Amazon. Um, it's also available at my website, permies.com/bwb for Better World Book. Um, I'm sure it's available at a bunch of other places. Uh, but at my site, I am uh, trying to sell it, and I think about half the people that have ever bought it buy the book by the dozen. So we've got a, a, a super sweet price to buy it by the dozen, um, and with the idea that you hand it out. And so the beginning of each book is stuff about handing it out, who's handled the book so far before it got moved on to the next person, etc. Um, and, and we wrote the book in a style that assumes that the person receiving the book received it as a gift, not they didn't, they're not the buyer of the book. Because um, we, we kind of believe that if enough of it gets handed out, enough people have the book, enough people read it, that it does solve world problems. One of the things that we kind of um, focus on the book at the beginning is that uh, over 10 years ago, Al Gore came out with his movie, An Inconvenient Truth, and he said, in order to be able to solve these problems, here's things that you can do at home. And those things were really, really weak. Um, in fact, another author complained about it. Um, he said if everybody in the United States did everything that Al Gore suggested, then it would reduce our carbon footprint as a nation by 22%. But, at the same time, our carbon footprint as a nation is growing 2% every year. So in 11 years, we'll be right back to where we started. And so, this book dives into a bunch of stuff where um, you can not only decrease your carbon footprint, but reverse it. And we also assign numbers to everything. Because a lot of people think about like, oh, in order for me to reduce my carbon footprint, I need to buy a Tesla. And it's like, well, the average adult in the United States has a carbon footprint of 30 tons. And switching from a standard American gas-powered vehicle to a Tesla reduces that by two tons. On the other hand, if you live in cold country, Montana, where I am, then if you switch from electric heat to a rocket mass heater, that reduces your carbon footprint by 29 tons. So that's a lot of Teslas. Hmm. Um, so our carbon footprint, yes, some of it is with transportation, but a great deal of it is elsewhere. And uh, so how do we how do we make these transitions that make a much more significant difference? Interesting. Um, we don't have a lot of time, though, so I need you to give everybody... Do you have a website? Do you, and what's your social media so somebody can contact you? Oh, my. 
um, uh, website would be permies.com and uh, so P-E-R-M-I-E-S dot com um, and uh, I, I kind of think of that as my, my social media that's where I kind of spend my time uh, visiting with people I know that there's stuff for me out on Facebook and uh, I go out there maybe once a week but I think that there's a lot more people there doing stuff um, uh, on my behalf I, I tend to not I tend to not go there very often um, uh, as for other social media I know that there is so much other social media and I I'm sorry I, I don't really pay that much attention to it I'm probably doing this all wrong I should say all the things that are the right answers and I don't know what the, those answers are <laughs> well as long as you get the information so somebody can get in touch with you you're good so um, uh, the website and um do you think that uh, is, is there like a thing in there that they could go to your Facebook page and go to the website? Is, do they ha- you have hooks like that? I I suspect so. Yes, I think so. Um, and so I think if you uh, look for my name, I know that somebody made a fan page for me, and then thousands of people joined that. And then they made me an admin of it, and I have no idea what to do. And then they left, and, and it's like I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's there's a page, and there are some people that go and fiddle with it from time to time. And I know that they've mentioned the book there a fair bit. Does that help answer your question? I've sort of. <laughs> If you're on Facebook and you want to find something, how do you find it? I, I would assume that there's that little search bar at the top, which always seems to not help me when I'm looking for things. Well, the thing Facebook. is, is that uh, like I have um, for my books, I have like a little thing uh, to get to my website. Uh, oh. So that's what I did, you know. So because there's a thing that says uh, tell about yourself, you know, or t- uh, tell about the book, and and you you, ha- you write a little information there so I always put like my face uh, my website and my blog that way they can actually get in touch with me okay alright well Hermes.com is, is the website but it's more like for a community it's my community um, but there's there's uh, quite a few links to the book from from there I'm pretty sure okay yeah okay that's good um we're out of time, so I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you, Sherry. It was a lovely visit. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Uh-huh.